The Mac Observer's Mac Geek App, episode 866 for Monday, April 19th, 2021. Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek App, the show where you send in your cool stuff found, your tips, your questions. We share your cool stuff found. We share your tips. We share some tips of our own. We try to answer your questions because the goal is that each and every one of us, you, him, me, we each learn at least five new things every single time we get together. Sponsors for today's episode include Sunbasket at sunbasket.com slash mgg. Start mail at startmail.com slash MGG and checkout.com slash MGG. We will talk more about each of those, including how you can get 35 bucks off your Sunbasket order a little bit later here in this episode. For now, here back in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. And here, still in fearful Connecticut, this is. John F. Braun. Yeah, man. Yeah, it's good to be back, back in the saddle, as it were. Let's um, let's just jump to some quick tips here and, and really get things rolling. Uh, Greg shares, uh, he says, I've heard the topic of screen recording on macOS come up a few times in the last couple of years, and QuickTime screen recording almost always gets a mention, as it should. Uh, but did you know that you can also initiate screen recordings via the Screenshot app, which is either, and so there's there's multiple quick tips here, Command-Shift-5 uh, will invoke that uh, app, and then you can choose either to do an individual screen or the um, you know movies and things like that. Uh, or you can go to app Applications, Utilities, Screenshot, and launch it from there. Uh, it says, it seems to be what QuickTime uses to do recordings, so there's nothing new here, but perhaps a useful tip for those who prefer keyboard shortcuts. There you go. Thank you, Greg. Excellent. Excellent. I like it. I like it. Yeah. I always forget about command shift five, but I will say that this week I had to take a screen recording of something, I think in an answer to one of your questions, just to show you one of you something. And uh, I was like, I can do it with command shift five. I must remember this. My problem is when I think of screenshots, I think of command shift three, which is the old school way of just doing the, the entire screen or far more likely to use is command shift four, which lets me pick either a, I can draw a box and choose that. Or if you hit command shift four and the space bar, then you can select an entire window to get a screenshot from. And that's super handy. And then of course there is uh, the control variant to that. So instead of command shift three or command shift four, you do control command shift three or control command shift four. And that instead of saving the screenshot to the disc, We'll save it to your clipboard, which is something I use all the time when like replying to your emails and stuff. When you folks send things into feedback at MacGeekGab.com, I often take a screenshot and send it back to you. And it's with control command shift four because it just puts it on my clipboard. So there you go. You know, right. Did I hear you right, Dave? Dave did you say feedback at MacGeekGab.com? I said feedback at MacGeekGab.com. That's where you send in your questions, your tips and your cool stuff found. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Thank you for that, Greg. A good, uh, good little tour. Uh, Ralph brings us another little quick tip that is uh, great advice. He says, 
Uh, not sure if this comes under the barrier of not so cool stuff found or if it's tips or tricks. I think it's the latter. He says the problem to be solved in the last week or so, I've had trouble charging my iPhone 10 R yesterday. It would not take a charge no matter the cable or the charger. A quick search revealed the most likely cause was lint in the lightning connector on the phone. And the suggested fix included using a toothpick to loosen uh, out the lint and then and or using compressed air to blow the lint out. He says uh, poking around in there with a toothpick seemed risky to me. So I proceeded the to use the compressed air solution, which worked like a charm. Problem solved. Phone now charges as expected. Yeah, this is an age old problem, especially with lightning connectors because they're so thin. They definitely collect lint. If you are going to use the toothpick method, I highly, highly recommend not using something metal. It is very tempting to go and shove a, uh, you know, a uh, like a paperclip in there or something. And I've heard of people doing this successfully, but putting metal into a place where there's contacts and that sort of thing, I don't know, seems a little risky to me. So I often use, I have used a wooden toothpick, but the breaking of a wooden toothpick gets a little like dicey. Uh, so I use the plastic ones, you know, the, 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 and they, they can get much thinner and a finer point. And I use the little plastic ones to dig that lint out. And I probably do it once every six months, once every eight months. And it works out pretty well. So have you, uh, have you experienced that, John? Not in a real long time. Mm. Well, that's good. No, I guess, uh, I guess, uh, I have lint free, uh, pockets. Lint free. Well, that's, that's. Maybe what maybe we need to be asking you for laundry tips and we can learn mm-hmm. how to keep our pockets lint free. So, mm-hmm. yeah. All right. Cool. Cool, cool. All right. Uh let's see. We have we have a bunch of things that we can go through here including some cool stuff found, John. Let's um let's jump to cool stuff found. I uh I recently, you know, we are big fans of power meters, the, the the USB power meters, inline power meters, and Pluggable just came out with their USB-C one. There are a million of these out there, and it's hard to, uh, and Pluggables is priced at the higher end of what I would call normal. It's at $29.95. I think they, at the moment on Amazon, they have a $6 coupon. Uh, for their USB-C power meter. What I really liked about this one, though, and the reason that I, I put it here into Cool Stuff Found is that it has, um, it, it starts up super, super fast. Like, as soon as I plug it in, it's showing me the results. And I've I, the, the one that I have that I probably paid about half this for uh, a couple of years ago or whatever, uh, takes forever. I see some logo when I plug it in and it turns on and it takes a minute before it actually starts showing me data. This one, man, it's like right on it. So, uh, I'm pretty stoked about that. So, so, you know, there you go. So that's why I like, yeah, that. I got one that looks just like that. Okay. Probably made in the same factory. <laughs> yeah. Does it start up fast? Cause I have one that looks just like it too. And it, it like, it, I thought it would be exactly the same. Mm-hmm. And that one takes like 20 seconds, maybe 10 seconds before I get to see any data. So, Oh, now look at this. I don't think mine has this. So I see that this shows volts and amps, but it also shows watts, which, yeah, if you don't know, power, which is watts, is voltage times current. 
I don't think mine does show the watts, though. It's easy enough to do the math. Right. Yeah, think. exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's a nice feature. It is. And I like these that show direction uh, of which way the power is flowing. Because mm -hmm. if you've got like a battery pack that you're trying to test, like the one that I mentioned last week, uh, it's nice to know that power is flowing either into it or out of it. Because sometimes you're using the same port for both charging and, you know, power out. So, yeah, it's pretty good. Pretty good. All right. Um, Greg brings us a cool stuff found. <clears throat> he says, uh, from last week's episode, you were talking about Snagit for screen grabs when Lou mentioned that. He says you really should also include Snagit as a clipboard manager as well per all your previous discussions. He says, I've been a user of Snagit for years as a corporate trainer. It was your previous mention of this concept of clipboard managers that made me explore this feature. And I'll have to admit, my life has not been the same since. Yeah, man. I can't imagine life without some kind of clipboard manager. And and there's, like you said, there's a million of them. My, my advice is to find a clipboard manager. If you have a tool that already includes one, like for me, I use keyboard maestros because I'm always using keyboard maestro. But, uh, but if you're using Snagit for your, you know, your screen grabs and that sort of thing, and it's got a clipboard manager, just use the one that's built into that. But um, yeah, man, without, Without like a clipboard history, I, I, I don't know. It, I, I just can't imagine what life would be like. So, yes. Have you have you entered the realm of clipboard management yet, John? Eh, not really. No. Okay. All right. Well, Golden you... Chaos has one. Uh, oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, which is a, a, a Golden Chaos is a add-on that... Uh, makes the touch bar actually useful. But one of the things you can enable, I, I don't think it was enabled by default, is it does have a clipboard manager. So that's kind of nice. Got it. Got it. Oh, very cool. Very, very cool. All right. Uh, let's see. Moving on here. David brings us a, uh, a cool stuff found. He says, a new USB-C connected webcam was released today by Anchor, the PowerConf C300. He says, I get mine tomorrow. Uh, and it indeed is a new little webcam from Anchor. Uh, 130 bucks on Amazon, at least as of the moment we're recording this here. 1080p. Uh, it's got built-in microphones and uh, low-light correction. It says it is Zoom certified. So, and it's got some active noise cancellation and, and that sort of thing. So, uh, yeah, yeah, that looks pretty cool. So, yeah, look at that thing. Be an instant pro with the PowerConf C300. I like it. Pretty good. Pretty good. All right. Thanks, David, for the heads up. We'll have to check that one out, John. That, that looks like a, a good, it's nice to see, you know, this market being um, opened to companies other than just like Logitech, you know, so mm -hmm. um, it's good. It's good. It's good. It's good. All right. Moving on. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, Tim brings us a, <clears throat> excuse me. Tim brings us cool stuff found here. 
He says, I've enjoyed your show for years and I always learn something new and try not to get caught while reading the Twitters. And I caught a recent David Pogue post discovering a new business that AirPod users could find useful. And it's called PodSwap. He says, the background is that I have a pair of the original AirPods whose batteries would no longer hold much of a charge, uh, especially the right one that would only work for 15 minutes on a full charge. Uh, and then that would be it. Not very useful for an hour long walk. Uh, he says, after reading the David Pogue post about PodSwap, I found their website. And what they do is to replace the batteries in someone else's returned AirPods, clean them, send you the refurbished pair for 60 bucks. And then you return your old pair to them within five days. I did that last week and now have a like new pair that after using for over two hours still has 60% of the battery left. That's pretty cool. Very sweet and much cheaper than buying a new pair or the $98 Apple would charge me to replace both batteries. Yeah, very cool. I might have to do this with, um, I know some people in my family have, uh, have been having battery problems with their AirPods. So for 60 bucks, that's not a bad deal. Yes. Interesting. Huh? Not bad. I like it. You, are you an AirPods user yeah. yet, John? No. Okay. <clears throat> okay. No, I got the, uh, yeah, I told you I got the, uh, I don't think they make them anymore. The, uh, Plantronics. Which okay. I'm pretty happy with. Yep. 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 Uh, and it's actually not Plantronics anymore. They, they changed their name. Hmm. Hmm. All right. Yeah. Let me see. They're now poly.com. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Interesting. Interesting, interesting. Cool. Cool, cool. All right. Uh, let's see. What do we have here? Oh, um, you know, we've talked on the show before about how Apple uh, a year and a half, almost two years ago, banned all vape apps in the uh, iOS app store, which prevented people from actually doing safe things with their uh, with their various vaporizers, either for tobacco or cannabis or whatever. And one of those safe things is being able to know that what you're put. I mean, the whole reason they banned them was because people were getting cartridges that had like, you know, vitamin E or something in it that was, you know, that's terrible, by the way, to to vaporize mm -hmm. and inhale. Don't do that. Uh, but no manufacturers were putting vitamin E in. These were like bathtub vape cartridges. But whatever. Apple followed the CDC and banned all the apps. Uh, one of the things that the apps would do was let you make sure that the things you were putting into your vaporizer were certified by the manufacturer. And so um, the, the company PAX had to pull their, their stuff from the store. Well, now you can do it again. They announced, uh, well, they didn't announce. They, they softly announced last week that they, uh, there is a Bluetooth browser called Connect Browser. And you download that and then use that to connect via a web app to your uh, to your vaporizer and other companies are doing this too. We talked about, you know, cannabis tech and, and just, you know, vaporizer tech in general. But it's great to see that people kind of working around this and Apple not stopping them, which is good. Uh, so happy to see that. Very good. Any thoughts on that, John? No. Okay. Uh, also in the, the health realm, R sent in a CSF to us. Cool stuff found. Uh, where he says, uh, 
As you are aware, the find a vaccine process is a pro-level cluster. <laughs> uh, he says, yep, even in 2021, basic scheduling with a reasonable UX UI simply can't be created and or implemented. But here's a good first level filter, vaccinespotter.org. So if you haven't gotten your vaccine yet and you're looking for one, check out vaccinespotter.org. We've put, uh, we put a link to that in the show notes. So thanks, R. Seems like it's getting easier um, at least in our parts, but I realize that, that, you know, I don't live in a bubble here. I know like out where we were in Portland, it was still difficult for people to schedule appointments. It wasn't quite like it was here in New Hampshire. So, um, so hopefully that'll help some of you still. So thanks for sending. Yeah. Here, um, it looks like our stop and shops are doing it now. Right. Which is a local grocery store. That's and, great. Uh, what else? Oh, and I got something from, uh, my, uh, uh, medical group. Oh, good. Um, I signed up for an notification. They're like, yeah, you only haven now uh, off your spots. Um, though keep in mind, folks, someone wrote in and let us remind you that neither Dave nor I are medical doctors. So That's do correct. not take medical advice from us. Yeah, well, we're not giving medical advice. We're giving tech advice, John. <laughs> right. So there you go. Yeah, yeah, very cool. Right, but so. we're not going to tell you to get your vaccine. Because we're not giving you medical advice. But Again. We'll, we'll give you a tool to help you get one. Right. Right. If you decide it's for you. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I, I have been, I, I will tell you, um, I traveled in August, of, of course, not unvaccinated, you know, going back and forth to Portland. Uh, and then I did it last week, fully vaccinated, going back and forth to Portland. In August, traveling, you know, airplanes are, uh, have, the, the, the science seems to show that airplanes are pretty safe in terms of uh, the risk of transmission. Airports, however, are terribly chaotic environments and probably not safe at all for things. In fact, I've often felt long before we entered this pandemic, I often felt that when people said I got sick on the flight, I don't think it was on the flight that any of us would get sick. I think it was on our way to and from the flight in the airports and, you know, in those just like, like I said, the, the orderly scenarios, less risk, chaotic scenarios, higher risk. And so, you know, the airports, you're touching things, you're in line, you know, behind people and bustling about and all that stuff. And I've, I've always felt that that's, that's where it was. Uh, that's where the risk was uh, for getting a cold or whatever when, when I was traveling. But um, I felt pretty safe and comfortable when we traveled in August, obviously, you know, wearing masks all the time and avoiding the people and not joining the, the boarding line for the airplane until, uh, you know, until it was like time to get on the plane and that sort of thing, just avoiding all that stuff. Uh, Traveling last week, had I not already been fully vaccinated, I'm not sure I would have been comfortable at all. Travel has gotten chaotic again. It's it's kind of a mess, um, like it always has been. But but it it was not nearly as orderly as I recall it being back in August when I did that trip. So uh, so I was very happy to be to, you know, to be vaccinated, even still, it was kind of like, it was an ordeal and far more than I remember from back in August. So, um, so I, I, again, just, you know, sharing my experience here, but, uh, but I was, I was, I was happy to be fully vaxxed for, uh, for this particular trip. So it was, and it was nice to go get our son, obviously, which we would have done anyway. So, yeah. 
Alrighty. Uh, I would like to now, John, if you have, unless you've got more on that, uh, I would love to talk about our, our, uh, our sponsors, if that's okay. Please do. All right. You know, free email services like Gmail and Yahoo aren't really free. We pay with our privacy. In fact, the internet giants like big tech bank on exploiting our data by selling us to the highest bidder or at the very least selling access to us as the product to the highest bidders. Our business plans, Google has them. Our medical records, Yahoo can sell them to drug companies, right? We need to be worried about this stuff. We need to think about this stuff. We need, as we often say on this show, to choose our point on the continuum between ultimate privacy and security and ultimate convenience with our eyes wide open. And that's why we're really liking Startmail here. It makes us feel safe, right? Because Startmail keeps our email private, period. Every email can be encrypted, even if the recipient doesn't use encryption. And when you delete an email in Startmail, it's gone forever. Startmail uses their own servers, not Amazon's, which means they can't be put out of business like, you know, other companies out there. Switching to Startmail is super seamless. You can easily transfer all your current email data so there's no starting from scratch. And Startmail is backed by the most stringent privacy laws in the world. You got to check this out. Start securing your email privacy with Start Mail. Sign up today and you'll get 50% off your first year. Go to startmail.com slash MGG. That's startmail with a T, S-T-A-R-T, mail.com slash MGG for 50% off your first year. Startmail.com slash MGG. And our thanks to Startmail for doing what they do and for sponsoring this episode. Next up is Sunbasket. Look, if your days are anything like mine, you wake up, you have breakfast, you do a little work, and then suddenly it's dinner time and you've got zero time to meal plan and certainly zero time to meal prep. Well, Sunbasket wants us to eat well and to love what we're eating. And their fresh and ready meals are just $8.99. So they're good for both our bodies and our budgets. Every Sunbasket meal is filled with only premium quality real food, including organic fresh produce, antibiotic and hormone-free meats, and sustainably sourced seafood. And their chefs have won Michelin awards and a James Beard award. So why not take the night off and let them cook for you? Looking at the menu for this week, I'm seeing smokehouse sausage jambalaya, shrimp paella, chicken penang curry, cauliflower mac and cheese, turkey bolognese over spaghetti. I mean, these things are delicious. I've tried them. We've, we've done them here quite a bit, actually, at the house. We love it. Sunbasket Fresh and Ready Meals come freshly prepared and are ready to heat up in as little as six minutes. No prep, no mess. Just heat them and eat them. And Sunbasket is offering $90 off for your first four deliveries, including free shipping on the first box. When you go right now to sunbasket.com slash MGG and enter promo code MGG at checkout. That's sunbasket.com slash MGG, promo code MGG at checkout for $90 off your first four deliveries and free shipping on your first box. That's sunbasket.com slash MGG and enter promo code MGG. And our thanks to Sunbasket for sponsoring this episode. Next up is checkout.com. Look, Tech shouldn't stifle innovation. In fact, it should be the other way around. Traditional payment systems are heavily layered, disconnected, and perceived as a cost center to most businesses. 
Modern businesses, we need flexible payment systems that can help us adapt to change, grow, and scale fast. And we recently came across a company, as our sponsor here, with tech that approaches payments through a radical new lens, and this is Checkout.com. They've put together this white paper that goes through quite a few things that they've researched and found, and two of them really jumped out to me. One thing, consumers place a premium on security and are willing to pay for two-step authentication. 78% of consumers think encryption is critical to the decision not to abandon a payment, while only 6% of merchants surveyed believe this to be the case. There's a disconnect there, and you can jump to the other side of it with Checkout.com. Also, poor payment experiences can permanently lose a business a customer 52% of customers surveyed say they have been permanently put off shopping on a site because of the complexity of the payment process. We don't want to do that to people. We want to use Checkout's payment platform because it's purpose-built with simplicity, scalability, and speed in mind. Ideal for merchants looking to seamlessly integrate better payment solutions globally. So, you can go and request a free, no-commitment demo at checkout.com slash MGG. That's checkout.com slash MGG for a free demo. Checkout.com slash MGG. And our thanks to checkout.com for sponsoring this episode. All right, John. Uh, you have a question, and more importantly, some answers to something that I had left on the schedule as a geek challenge from last time because I didn't know how to do this. So will you take us to Roy, please? Yeah, I think I got something for you. Um, so he said, gentlemen, I first started listening back in 2011 to the Mac Geek Gab. I am on my third Mac Mini, but also enjoy a MacBook Pro. What I miss on the Mini is the fingerprint scanner to unlock my MacBook Pro. Uh, all right. <clears throat> uh, I don't recall the mini have, ever having a fingerprint scanner. No, he's saying he yeah. doesn't have it on the mini. He misses it on the ah. mini because he has it on his MacBook Pro. Yeah. Ah, ah, right, right, right. Okay, got it. Um, can you recommend a decent fingerprint scanner for biometric access to a Mac mini? Something which might meet FIPS 201 and PID 071006 image quality spec. Um... Yes. So, um, so I have one device, which I thought would offer this, but it doesn't. So, uh, YubiKey makes something called the YubiKey 5 NFC, which is both USB and NFC. Um, and it does, um, it does have a touch interface, but it's not a fingerprint scanner. Ah, uh, okay. Um, but uh, this, you know, this, is one multi-factor authentication device. But then I stumbled across an article, Dave, um, dated November 2020 um, from uh, Yubico, who makes the YubiKey. Uh, the title of the article is Getting a Biometric Security Key Right. Um, and apparently they got one in the works. That's going to be really? a fingerprint scanner. Uh, yeah, I think they're going to call it the YubiKey Bio. Um, okay. Yes, cool. the YubiKey Bio is what it's going to be. So keep your eyes peeled for that. But then I recall, Dave, there's another potential solution. Um, and I guess this, uh, I haven't used this in a real long time. I should give it another look here. But um, uh, there's something called Mac ID. 
um, which uses the fingerprint scanner on your Touch ID device to let you access your Mac. Now, this, of course, requires that you have oh. <laughs> um, a phone that uses a... a that you have a, a device that has Touch ID. Uh, so it's called Mac ID. Um, I think it has changed now, Mac- its name. It, the, if you go to the Mac ID site... Yes. It says Mac ID 2.0 is now available and has been renamed to unlocks with an X U N L O X. And then if you click on find out more, it brings you to unlocks. So, uh, but, but same tech, but I think it's got a new name. Yeah. Right. So, um, so give that. And so it, it, it will let you use the biometrics on your iOS device to, uh, to unlock your Mac. So it could be touch ID or it could be face ID, I guess, from what I'm reading here. So interesting. So give that a whirl. Okay. Yeah. Right. You can unlock your Mac with your fingerprint, wrist or face. So yeah, this has always driven me a little crazy because I can unlock my, um, and I know why it's because of the T2 chip, but I can unlock like a Mac mini with my watch just out of the, like, you know, with Mac OS, Obviously, I can't do it with my face or my fingerprint, so that's where unlocks would come in. But my my iMac here, I don't think I can unlock with uh, with my watch. No, no, actually, I can. Right? I can't remember now. Let's look. Let's look in. Uh, I've got too many computers now, John. Um, <laughs> but let's see. Opening this up, yeah, I can't. Oh no, I can. I can unlock my my uh, my iMac with this. So, oh, it's one password. That's what it is. One password will not let me unlock one password with my Apple Watch on a non-T2 Mac, even though my non-T2 Mac, a.k.a. the 2019 iMac in front of me, will let me use my Apple Watch to unlock it. So I don't know what the deal is there. I don't know why one password is limited like that. In fact, I got to write to them and and hmm. point. I mean, it seems weird, right? Like if, the, if Apple doesn't care whether it's got a T2 chip or not, I don't know. All right, moving on, right? Good? Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. That's great, man. Nice finds. I like this. This is good. This is good. Yeah, though I get a sense that there's somebody, I, I just haven't haven't traveled in that space for quite a while. I think Sony made one at one point. But, uh... Yeah. So, hey, if you know about a fingerprint scanner, let us know. Feedback at MacGeekab.com. That is feedback at MacGeekab.com. I like it. All right. Uh, all right. Let's go. This That was great. Thank you. Let's, uh, let's go to Gary here. Gary says, every morning when I start work, I use my silent switch on my phone and I get the vibration confirmation and visual notification on my screen. During the past few weeks, for some reason, my phone will still ring when calls come in. Usually the first call will just vibrate my phone, but calls two through infinity. Sometimes my phone will ring and my camera LED flashes uh, like I don't have it silenced at all. It's done this a few times during calls, and luckily the person on the other end has been nice about it, and I apologize to him or her. Uh, Texts, calendars, and other app notifications vibrate my watch and follow the silent switch rules along with key presses and other sounds. This has been going on for the last few weeks, uh, and I restart my phone weekly. Could this be something with iOS 14.4.2? Uh, I have to get this issue fixed ASAP or else I will get caught. Okay, Gary. Um, so I'm not sure I have a magic answer for you. 
Um, but I, I'll, I'll share the thoughts that come to mind. The, the, you know, what would I do if I were there? Uh, the first thing I would take a look at is your accessibility settings. It feels like there might be something in there that's doing this. Maybe, um, take a look through settings accessibility. It sounds like you've got the flash, the light when you get a notification thing on, try turning that off and see if maybe that changes the way this works. Uh, I'm going to grab my phone here because the, I have another idea, John, while we're talking about this. If you go into settings and do not disturb, uh, wait, where was it? Settings, do not disturb. <laughs> that was weird. It launched a different thing. Um, you can, there is the repeated calls um, button and you mentioned, or the repeated call switch, you mentioned that phone call number one does not have a problem, but phone calls two through infinity might. Well, repeated calls, I'll read the description from iOS. A second call from the same person within three minutes will not be silenced. It sounds like maybe that's what's going on here. Now, I know you're not using do not disturb. I know you're using the silence switch and this shouldn't apply. However, it's worth a shot. Flip the switch, whatever, whatever position it's in, it doesn't matter. Flip it to the other one and see if it helps and then flip it back. You know, sometimes just doing that can make a big difference. So that would be, that would be my, uh, my thought. PJ is uh, in the chat room at live.macgeekab.com where you can always visit. And it's even more fun when we're recording uh, is to turn the phone over to put it face down. Uh, that can sometimes uh, keep it silent for you, but he says it's happening while he's on calls. So I don't know. What do you think, John? Do you have any thoughts on this? Um, one thought that I had is um, see if the person, the, the, the call for which, uh, the calls that go through and ring, make sure you don't have a ringtone set for that person. A you could do that for your custom. contacts. Yeah, it still should be silent. Like I have our theme song. Oh, set I agree. As mm -hmm. the um, as the ringtone for you. But even, you know, if my phone is on silent, I don't hear the answer. That's the name of that song, by the way. Is uh, mm -hmm. it is it is that, which is ironic. I picked it because I thought it was a good <clears throat> song, but but it is called. Yeah, the and what else? Do I have here? And also, if if you go in contacts and then you uh, um, you select the ringtone, there's also a, an emergency bypass setting, which apparently will let that person go through. So make sure that's uh, not set either. Really? Now I need to look at this emergency bypass. I don't even think I knew about that, John. All right. Yeah, I didn't either. I think so I heard about it, but I never. If I go to John F. Braun. And I have to say edit, right? And ringtone. Okay. Oh, now it's reset. It's not that anymore. Okay. So, but if I go to ringtones, uh, okay. Oh, emergency bypass allows sounds and vibrations from this person, even when the ring switch is set to silent or when do not disturb is on. Dude. That might well be it. Now you may not, he may not have said it. Maybe it's said itself. Right. You know, you know right. The, the random bit flip, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Right. The, just exactly. The random bit flip. I like it. Discard changes. Okay. All right. That's good. I, I always put my phone behind me when we record because that way it, um, mm -hmm. 
Yeah, you know, I don't get distracted by seeing it. So yeah. All right. All right. Good. Uh, you want to take us to Chip, John? Yeah. Okay. Poor Chip. All right. Uh, Chip says, my wife's mid-2017 iMac has had some SSD problems, according to Carbon Copy Cloner Backups. Uh, originally, CCC indicated numerous files in the Big Sur data volume which were corrupted. Examining those files indicated that they were, in fact, corrupted. Most were images and a few were PDFs. And they had different pictures combined in one and sections of PDFs missing in others. They were not in critical files and they were deleted. However, now it's finding errors in the system volume and refuses to back it up. Well, this makes sense and is a valuable feature of CCC. But is there any way to install a system volume of Big Sur onto a different region of the SSD? There's plenty of room available, but I have no idea how to force Big Sur onto a different area. I don't even know if the SSD can be replaced on a mid-2017 uh, iMac. And yes, you will doubtless, uh, I will get her a new iMac as soon as uh, the Apple Silicon comes out. Which might be this week. Um, so that's exciting. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the, there's an event on Tuesday? Yeah, we'll do, a, we'll do a little recap after yeah. the event. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> okay, my recommendation would be to not try to trick uh your ssd is failing uh yeah. in my humble opinion though it's a 2017 i mean that seems to be i wouldn't expect an ssd to fail but it sounds like that's what's happening and uh and you're absolutely right so carbon copy cloner uh they have a feature um it, it, it's called uh there's a checkbox here and i'm looking right right at it now find and replace corrupted files um is I think what would he enabled here. And right. it'll basically do a comparison and make sure that your backup is good. And in his case, it's not. <laughs> um, or something's getting corrupted. Uh, so basically what I'd say, Dave, is uh, I'd retire the SSD in this iMac and either replace it or at the very least boot off your clone. Yeah. Maybe make a clone of your clone. <laughs> um, uh, you can... But but the thing is, yes, Dave, so you can replace the SSD on this model. Uh, and iFixit has a uh, has a guide on how to do this, and I sent him a link to it. So okay. uh, it's rated moderate difficulty. Um, this is one of the uh, machines where you have to actually slice it open. Uh, it's not magnetic. It's another one where oh, you need a blade yeah, to... Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, we have... Uh, you need a blade in order to basically cut the uh, the adhesive that holds the screen on in order to get at it. So, right. so, you know, be careful with knives and sharp things. Yes, of course. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but then also I'd link to, um, so OWC has a, a hard drive upgrade kit, including tools for all 27 inch IMAX 2012 and later. So I sent him a link to that as well. So that's what I do. Yeah. That, I mean, I, I agree. It, 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 it seems atypical that a 2017 iMac would have, or a 2017 SSD would be failing already, but it doesn't mean it's impossible. It's just atypical. Uh, I, I would probably want to confirm that the drive is indeed failing, but I wouldn't necessarily want to be relying on it while I did that. Uh, but I, my, my plan would be to format the drive and then use it for something else 
and see if just reformatting it fixes the problem. And with that in mind, I would go with a Thunderbolt external uh, to to be my boot drive for this machine. Uh, that way you don't have to crack the thing open yet. You can test whether the internal drive is truly dead yet, because it will be eventually. <laughs> and, it you know, you don't have to go through the, the hassle of cracking it open and, and all of that stuff. And a, a Thunderbolt drive externally... Even a, a, you know, a, I, I forget, uh, now I'd have to look at the specs on this. So I'll pull open Mac Tracker uh, to see what speed USB that 2017, 21 and a half inch Retina iMac has. So let's take a look. So we are in Mac Tracker. We are in 2017. Let's see. It has for connections, it's got Thunderbolt 3, which is good, which also means it has. USB, it has five gigabit USB. So you could go with USB. You're probably better off going with a, a Thunderbolt three drive just to, just to get the full speed out of it. But you're probably going to be okay with even just a, a five gig USB uh, drive on it. But, um, or if you've got a Thunderbolt dock that gives you 10 gig USB, even better, right? Uh, Cause that's totally possible on that machine. So I, yeah, I would go external and, and then start beating on the internal one. Maybe use that as like a, a temporary clone just to see if it's dying or not. I don't know. That's, that's, I, I hate to, I hate to, I hate to give up on a drive. It could just be a software like file system corruption issue on this drive possible. And so that's, that's where I'm going with this. I don't know. What do you think? Um, yeah, you know, go go with an external and see how long you can uh, run with that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, now this is funny. The article I looked at, so this has both a SATA interface and it does have an NVMe. Okay. Yeah, yeah, right, right. So, yeah. All right, cool. Thank you. Good. Uh, all right, moving on to Mike here. Mike says, as a follow-up to episode 863, where you talked about World Backup Day, uh, first off, Dave, thank you for sharing the bit about how you backup photos out of the photos library, but copying just the originals folder and using a shortcut alias to do so. I'd never thought of it. Quite a great suggestion. Yeah, it, it, I'm, I'm glad I bullheadedly persistented myself into that. I know those aren't the right ways to use those words, but you get what I'm saying. Uh, Mike says my follow-up has more to do with what else you do regarding backups. Dave, you gave us all an overview of your process, but I'm wondering how you have your wife and kids set up for backup. Many of us are in that scenario, but also more importantly, how you, if at all, integrate all the different processes, meaning you described what you do generally for your stuff, but what's the backup setup for your wife? And is there any overlap? As in, you back up your documents and photos, but you also have hers back up? Uh, and if so, is that all in one central place? How is that done and how is that backed up? Yeah, absolutely. And then he's got a question for you, John, too. Uh, saying, uh, you mentioned you still have a Drobo in your mix. I'm still on Team Drobo, Mike says, not yet having funds to move to Synology. How, if at all, do you back up your Drobo? Uh, you want to take the first answer, John, or you want me to answer about my family? Oh, um, yeah. What do I do with the Drobo? Um, <clears throat> I actually don't really have a automated workflow to do this and I probably should, but what I do is I mount the, um, um, D 
DSM, the software on the uh, Synology, lets you map a SIFS uh, folder. Uh, SIFS is the protocol that um, I think SMB is also another name for it. So, ah. so basically, what I what I do is I mount the Drobo um, from DSM, and then I have a big old folder and I just drag that over to the data port, you know, to the, uh, Synology. Yeah. But I think I could probably automate that with hyper backup. I just have to, uh, just have the, the drive, you know, permanently mounted and just yeah. run a backup task. I think that should do it. Yeah. I do that with one of mine. I, I exactly the same thing. And you can have SIF, SIFS thing auto mount, um, right in, I think there's a checkbox or something. So yeah. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah. 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 I like it. Um, as for me, this is a great question. You're right. We totally skipped over this. Uh, for my wife, I have her machine cloned to a local, you know, direct attached drive with carbon copy cloner every evening. And then I also have time machine running kind of to do the rest. Um, I do have her photos back up the same way mine do to the Synology using that uh, originals folder trick. And I say that. And I'm pretty sure I restored that when I put her on that Mac mini a year ago, but I should check that. I generally, I have a, I have a calendar notification once a month to confirm that my backups are backing up and I don't check all my machines every month, but I check, you know, at least one and I try to sort of rotate it, but, and I've checked my wife's to make sure that her clone is working and that her time machine's working and all that. But uh, I have not checked her photos in a while. Now, uh, time machine would get her photos. I make sure it, I have it doing that, but, um, and of course they're also synced to iCloud photos for, you know, redundant backups and she uses iCloud drive for her documents. So hers are also synced redundantly that way. Um, for my kids, it's basically the same just without the clones. Um, everything, they're both laptop only users. And right now, you know, out of the house more than they're in the house, though that my son is back now. Uh, but um, everything they do is synced with the cloud. Uh, they're either using iCloud for their documents or, you know, one of the various clouds that their schools use, uh, you know, one of them uses you and uh, uh, Microsoft's OneDrive and like they've, they've got various other things that are, that are sort of taking care of the syncing thing. And I know it's fun to say sync is not backup, but it really like it kind of is, especially with, you know, iterations and things like that. So versioning and all that. So that's enough protection for their workflows. My son does bring a, um, uh, an SSD back and forth with him to school because he's so far away and, uh, and let's carbon copy cloner do that. So I guess he does have a clone going. It's not, it's not something that's happening on a daily basis because he doesn't plug it in daily, but he does have a clone from which he could boot into something that resembles a recent version of his environment uh, from either another Mac or even his Mac. So, so he does have that backup out there with him. My daughter is, I mean, she goes to school five minutes from our house. So, um, so that's a little, a little different. We don't, we don't need the emergency scenario quite the same way he does out there. So yeah. Yeah. Good question though. I, I, I'm glad you asked that Mike. Good stuff. All right. You want to take us to Scott, John? Yes. All right. Scott says, Recently, I purchased the Magic Keyboard for my iPad Pro and found that I could do most of my on-the-go computing 
with the iPad. However, I ran into a situation where I needed a text editor. I'm looking for a BB Edit Lite type of editor. Specifically, I need BB Edit's find and replace capabilities, including advanced regular expressions. Is there an app for the iPad that will do that? Hmm. Uh, maybe. Do you think we could convince Barebones Software to create a BB Edit for the iPad? So, two answers for you. So, one, uh, I broke down the Google Foo um, to find text editors for uh, for iOS. And guess what, Dave? Our pal Brett Terpstra, uh, maker of the Mark II Markdown Previewer and other nifty software, um, has an article that's a big old summary of um, text editors for iOS. So, oh, wow. and if you search for Reg X, uh, you'll it'll stumble across a couple that uh, a couple that uh, support regular expressions. Um, another thing which I found, um, you know, go into the search in the App Store and type regular regular expression, oh, yeah. uh, and you'll probably come up. I came up with at least one match on a, for a text editor that claims to support it. I, I forget the name of it it's probably in that big old list but um you could do that but then dave here's another thought that um he actually got me thinking of saying well how about bb edit for ipad well you can kind of get bb edit for ipad how you may be asking yourself dave <laughs> um parallels make something called parallels access Right. And it lets you run apps that are on your Mac. So there's a piece of, so there's like a, well, one, you could also, you, you could, so you could set up a screen share and file transfer between your iPad and your, um, and your Mac running BB edit. Right. Okay. Right. But, uh, this is essentially what parallels access does for you as well. It, it's just, it's de deployed, I'd say, in a nicer fashion than you having to hack something together yourself. So, yeah, um, so yeah check Parallel Parallels Access lets you run Mac apps on your on your iOS device. I like it. Okay, yeah, I'm looking here. I Codex, I think, would be the one the text editor that I've messed with before on iOS that uses Regex. Um, mm -hmm. I've also used. And that's Codex with a K, K-O-D-E-X. Uh, I've also used Coda for iOS, which is great. I, it doesn't, Brett's list doesn't say that it uses Regex, but I know that it has in document, like a good search and, and uh, you know, like search and replace functionality. So, and you, what's cool is you can sort Brett's list by, um, like you can click on a feature and it resorts it. Uh, his list is very, I mean, not surprisingly, his list is very HTML-ified. So, yeah, that's pretty good. Mm. Pretty cool. Cool. I like it. And I like Parallels Access. That's a good idea. Yeah. Cool. Nice find. You want to take us to uh, to Gary? Another Gary? Uh, yeah. Um, what is the recommended path to eliminating duplicates and contacts? There is a find duplicates in the card menu, but it doesn't offer a delete duplicates choice, which is what I need. Suggestions are greatly appreciated. Um, I had this issue in the past as well, Dave, and wanted 
Monday, I just, uh, uh, let's see. Yeah. Dupli- I, I had duplicates from days past. At some point you could link in your LinkedIn and your Facebook, uh, contacts. And so my, my database was a mess. Sure. Yeah. So, um, so at one point what I just did is, um, I selected all my contacts and did a card look for duplicates. Um, and then it tells you how many it found and offers to, uh, merge them, uh, which I was okay with. Um, though I had to run it like two or three times before it didn't find any anymore. So, uh, other than painstakingly going through each individual contact, that's, uh, I mean, this was the best solution I could find. Yeah. So right. To, to kind of answer Gary's uh, question is that Apple's solution to this is not to delete contacts. It's to merge them uh, when you have duplicates. And I, like you, John, that's always been my sort of preferred path through this whenever I've done it because it it's not uncommon for me to have two different pieces of data. You know, I'll have maybe an address in one and a phone number in the other. Then so merging it together is actually what I want Um, in terms of deleting duplicates. uh, There is, there are things in the app store that I haven't tried. Um, There is cleanup duplicate contacts, which comes to mind it's got recent reviews it's been updated recently it even has an app privacy um you know uh, uh entry in its app store preview so i'll put that out there but again i haven't used it but it is it is one that i know people have recommended to us in time and it like i said it was just updated a month ago so it, it is kept up to date uh so we'll you know we'll, like, like i said we'll put it out there that that might get you there. Um, so, yeah. And that is a Mac app uh, as I uh, no designed for iPad. Sorry. That is an iPad app. It says view in Mac app store. Why is it want to show me that? Is it also? No, not compatible with this device. Okay. I need an M1 Mac to do that. So there you go. All right. Uh, but you can do it on your iPhone or, or iPad, I guess. Yeah. Cool. Any other thoughts on that, John? Nope. Okay. Uh, speaking of M1, I recently got, well, it, it arrived while I was gone. More on that later. Uh, I got that M1 uh, Mac Mini that I traded that domain for, that I told you about. And uh, it arrived and all is good. So, you know, that part of it went really well. I replaced the iMac in the office with this. And I decided mainly in the interest of time, because, you know, I'd just gotten back from a trip. Uh, I wanted to get this thing set up and make sure it worked. So I leveraged my, uh, my time zone shift. We got back about 10 PM on, on Thursday night, actually about 11 PM, I guess. And so I stayed up till about three. I prepped the show, answered all the questions and then migrated to the, or started the migration process to this new Mac mini. And, uh, cause I knew it was going to take hours for it to slurp all the data across from my clone drive. So I got that set up and then I went to sleep. Uh, I am not convinced. In fact, I am convinced that my advice to all of you would be if you are migrating from an Intel Mac to an M1 Mac that you not use migration assistant and that you set it more specifically that you set it up from scratch. 
And the reason is I have spent the last two days going through and finding all of the things that are on there that are still Intel that should be and could be running on Apple Silicon. Uh, and, it, you know, there are things like like the app Zoom, for example, for whatever reason, it's not universal or when I had it installed and updated on my Intel Mac. It was just updating the Intel version. It never downloaded a universal version. As soon as I launched Zoom, however, it said, ah, you're running on an, uh, you know, on an Apple Silicon Mac. You should download, you should update. So I did that. I let it do it. What it did not do was update the core audio driver for sharing Zoom audio. So that was still running in emulated mode, not in native mode. And so I deleted it. But I had to go through and, you know, find the needle in the haystack in the system to delete that, pull it out. There was another audio driver uh, for Black Hole that was still running the old one. I pulled that out and put the new one in. And I've been going through enough of this process that I know I'm, I'm still missing things. And the uh, I'm not sure I've saved any time. And given that I know that I'm still missing things, I know that at some point I'm going to wipe this thing and start it from scratch and migrate stuff back in manually anyway. So I highly recommend that if you're going to an M1 Mac, that you just do it manually. Uh, and, and, and that way you're at least starting as close to native as you can get. Activity Monitor has been my friend uh, because an Activity Monitor... Once you're on M1 and of course activity monitor wouldn't was giving me all sorts of problems. I had to go and blow away my preferences file for activity monitor to get it to work the right way in M1. Again, another data point that says I would advise you to just do it from scratch. Um, but uh, I, you can add a kind column or an, oh, sorry, architecture column to the to activity monitor and then I sort by Intel or sort by architecture and it floats Intel to the top. And then I can see what's running on my Mac that is Intel and, and I've gone through and that's helped me identify these things. And you can do that too. It's not going to be perfect. Even on a Mac that I've set up from scratch, there are still some Intel only apps that are running in Rosetta and that's okay, but I would prefer them to not be if there is an alternative. And so I've been using that. There are other apps out there that you could do this with too, of course, but, uh, but I find activity monitor at least just tells me what's running and what's going on. It, there's also been a really like it took a long time for spotlight to rebuild its index and get that right. Um, so again, yeah, I would, I would do it. My advice is don't do what I did. <laughs> um, do what I will eventually do. And that is start from scratch with it. But, um, but it is fast and it's amazing how cool this thing runs, especially compared to my wife has one of those I seven Mac minis, which I think is what you have. Right, John. And that thing gets hot, like fry an egg hot sometimes. So, yeah. Anyway, that's my uh, that's my thought on that. Any questions on that? Any any thoughts on that, John? Nope. All right. Well, I think we're good. Okay. Uh, yeah, i seven. Yeah, I got the i seven. Uh, that's so. It's one hundred and ninety degrees. That's. I don't think. If I you put your hand on top, egg. is it warm to the touch? Hmm. Yeah, a little bit, but okay. you know, I mean, the heat okay. has to go somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Well, like on my on this one downstairs, I've got one of those OWC Thunderbolt docks, the the one with the all the extra Thunderbolt ports, because of course you can do that with Big mm -hmm. Sur. 
And I have that literally sitting on top of it. And I've tested it a few times after I've seen the CPU, like when it's doing its spotlight cleaning for hours and it's just like, you know, pegged and I lift up the dock and I put my hand underneath it. It's just cold. It's awesome, which is great. Yeah, nice. that's good. Um, a tip about Apple care on this new M1 mini, because it was not purchased by me, it was purchased by someone else and I traded them for it. Uh, I, they did not put Apple care on it. So I went to put Apple care on it. Now it arrived uh, a week and a half ago, right after I left, I did not, I figured I'd wait till I got home to make sure it worked and all that. Uh, but I kept thinking, no, I should have my daughter like send me the serial number so that I can, I can put Apple care on it right now. I did not do that. And by the time I got home, I was literally days past the 60 days required. This was purchased in early or mid February and so I was two days past the 60 day window that you have to add Apple care plus to a Mac mini that is unlike it used to be in the past when it was just Apple care, when you could add it at any time during the first one year warranty. So I had to call Apple and they, you know, they put me on the phone with the Apple care activation team at, who helped me. And got me there and they're like, oh, yeah, we understand. I, I just told them, I'm like, I, it was stupid me. You know, I should have done this. I didn't. Please help. And they I was very polite to them, of course, uh, very deferential, uh, which I find very uh, helpful in customer service situations. And uh, and of course, they helped me out and registered it. The interesting thing now, because they had to do a little uh, dance to allow this to happen, is that my Apple Care now is good through. April of 2024, not February of 2024. So they treated it like this past week was my purchase date, not uh, February. And I'm not sure if that's how it always is supposed to work, but it certainly is how it worked. So a 60 days is what you've got to add Apple care plus. And then uh, if you wind up being outside of that, sometimes it might actually help you out. So so there you go. Yeah. Uh, Warren in the chat room is says is they changed it to a year recently. Interesting. Well, it would have to have been since February, but that's of course possible. It's been 60 days. So uh, 64 days or something like that. But um, yeah, there you go. All right. Uh, we've got time here, right? Oh yeah. We can go to Ari here. Um, Ari asked a question i'm not sure i have the answer for john but uh but we'll see if we can get there he says uh i'm wondering if you could help walk me through a couple of troubleshooting steps i could try to figure out a lag i'm getting in my two favorite browsers edge and brave my computer is a 16 inch macbook pro 2019 running the latest big surge 16 gigs of ram 512 gigs of storage I'm hardwired in to my router, an Eero Pro 6 in my office, which is hardwired through Cat 6 back to my, oh, actually, it's hardwired into the, the Eero uh, uh, satellite, we'll call it, but that's hard, also hardwired back to the gateway. Uh, but he says the issue replicates even when I'm sitting in the house right next to the gateway. He says I get gigabit service and all my things are good, good latency, good stuff, you know, speeds are fine. Um, nonetheless, I am intermittently getting a significant lag of 10 to 20 seconds attempting to resolve websites when browsing in both Brave and Edge. It's bad enough that when it happens, I will get multiple prompts from the browser to wait or kill the page. Choosing wait several times seems to give the browser enough time to load the page. 
Once the site gets past the initial load, everything is very fast with no issues, but it's that initial lag time that kills me. This makes me feel like it's a DNS issue. I would agree, actually. Uh, mm-hmm. He says, uh, but the issue replicates regardless of whether I use my preferred DNS, 8888 or uh, 1.1.1.1 uh, or the default DNS from Comcast. These issues do not seem to replicate in Safari, but the issues are intermittent and I haven't tested used Safari significantly recently and I would prefer not to be forced into it. My guess is you might have these issues in Safari too, but it's possible that it is separate. Uh, there are DNS is like I said, is what comes to mind for me too. Uh, I know Firefox will use its own DNS sometimes, but I don't think any of the Chromium browsers, at least not edge brave, you know, Chrome do that. Um, Opera now has its own VPN built into it if you want to use that, but that's sort of a different thing. But uh, I'm pretty sure these, these Chromium browsers all use system DNS. And I looked in edges settings and it does, um, it sort of points you to uh, system preferences, network, whatever your interface. So ethernet in your case, and then proxies for any proxy stuff. So it's not doing its own proxy detection or anything that would also cause this, right? We we've seen this in the past where proxy detection can cause a lag then too, um, and do that, right? Go to system preferences, network interface, either ethernet or Wi-Fi, proxies and make sure nothing is checked there. Um, when he's trying various DNS servers, my question for you, Ari would be, are you setting these on your Eero or are you setting them on your Mac? Because if you're setting them on your Eero, then it's still your Mac waiting for the Eero to be its DNS server. And wherever the Eero is sourcing its data from is potentially irrelevant. Um, so I would try manually setting the DNS on your Mac. So system preferences, network, interface, advanced DNS, and, uh, and, and then just manually enter a DNS there. The ones that you get automatically from your router will be gr- like there in gray and you can type in new ones and, you know, hit enter. And then those will override whatever it is getting from your router. So I would definitely try that and let your Mac do DNS directly. Um, you can, and then you can pull it out of there when, you know, when you're finished testing, but that would be, that would at least highlight whether the problem is with your Mac getting DNS in general or if it's just having a problem with the Eero, or it could be something else entirely. A way to test this would be to use a tool called NS Lookup. You could use Dig too, but I like NS Lookup. And I, I've got a video, you know, I'm going to post this video in our forum somewhere, or uh, or maybe I'll have Sadie actually push it out to our socials as a, as a sort of a, uh, a video of, not sort of a video, a real video. So, uh, to, to show you all, but NS lookup is a great tool that will, um, that lets you query DNS on your Mac. It, it's an older tool. I know dig is the newer one, but I like to use NS lookup and we will, uh, we will push this video out, but it, it'll show you how to use NS lookup and see what answers you're getting back and also see how quickly you are getting back those answers. And that might be an indicator here. You know, you can do the same lookup that you're doing in your browser in uh, in the terminal and really get those answers and see what your DNS server. And you can also point to different DNS servers with NS lookup very, very easily. I know it's kind of old school, but, um, but it works for me. So we'll share that video and maybe that, maybe that'll help. And I did, I created that video. That's the one I talked about in the beginning of the show uh, that I created using command shift five. So there you go.
Any thoughts, John? Um, another thing you could try, um, Thing Desktop has a DNS benchmark feature they added recently. I think you may have to get premium to run that, but okay. um, that, that, that's another tool that you may want to try because it'll, and it, it checks all sorts of different uh, DNSs. I actually learned about one that I had forgotten about when I ran it the other day. Um, so you may want to try that too. Interesting. Yeah. I yeah. Know. Sounds DNS-y to it, me. It does. Um, Paul Franz in the chat room points out that Chrome recently added uh, DNS over HTTPS uh, or DOH as it's called uh, in, in Chrome. And so that probably spills over to these other browsers too. And this is a way of securely doing DNS lookups and it will bypass your max DNS uh, in order to, uh, I'm looking to see where in Chrome we do this and I don't have an article um, for the Mac as to how to do this, uh, how to do this on Mac OS. Uh, so here is a thing you just, you, you have to do it really. You have to do it with a, a terminal command. Uh, looks like maybe. Yeah. So I'll put a link to this. I, I did not see it in Chrome settings, but it's possible you might've enabled this at one point Ari as well. So we'll put a link to this out there too. Um, so Enable, disable DNS over HTTPS in Chrome. All right. So we'll put a link to that in the show notes there. And you already know what it's called because you heard me type it out. Uh, and you should be able to find that link in uh, the show notes at MacGeekGab.com. And of course, if you want the show notes delivered to your email box every week, go to MacGeekGab.com and sign up for our newsletter. And then you will get the show notes delivered every week. So there you go. Firefox does support it and they have a checkbox for it, which makes it way easier than what Chrome is doing. So yeah, good. Any more thoughts on that, John? No. Okay. Is, uh, is Sean something we can do in a minute or two here? Or is that something we should say? Yes. Okay, go. I think so. Great. Um, Sean says I have a 2019 iMac currently running Mac OS Mojave 10.14.16. I've tried three times to update the big Sur. each time during the install. When the machine reboots, the Apple logo flashes for a second, and then the iMac shuts off. I have tried PRAM and SMC resets with no, uh, and, and that didn't help. Uh, it will not boot into safe mode. I am forced to do a system restore each time back to Mojave. My Google foo has not helped find a solution. I hope you guys have one. Um, I haven't run into this in a while, Dave, but I think sometimes when upgrading, uh, APFS gets confused when it's, uh, you know, creating new partitions or converting old yeah. ones and stuff like that. Um, so I've seen this. So here would be my suggestion would be to um, make a clone. Okay. I, I, I make a clone and reformat that drive that you're uh, reformat that drive, I think is, is the way to solve this. And then, um, you know, once you reformat it, either, you know, install Big Sur on the reformatted drive, you know, get the Big Sur installer and then use migration assistant or restore the bootable Mojave clone to the freshly formatted drive and then 
run it from there. Yeah. So take your pick. But I think there's something screwed up, especially since you can't get into uh, safe mode either. I, I think there's something wacky with your uh, partition table or volumes. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Huh. That's what I, that's what I got. Yeah. I, I you're right. Yeah. I mean, d- definitely starting booting from something else. I, I wonder, can he boot into recovery mode? I'm guessing he can. I'm guessing that's how he's doing this. But uh, I mean, I, I, you know, it says I, I've tried three times to update to Big Sur. So I, I'm maybe, oh, maybe it's just the over the top update. So interesting. A system restore back to Mojave. So yeah, I guess he's using recovery mode to do that. Um, yeah. Yeah, that seems odd. I mean, that machine definitely should. I'm running a 2019 iMac with Big Sur right in front of me. So, I mean, it, it should run Big Sur. There's no reason um, from Apple that it wouldn't. But, uh, but yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, that's, um, I, yeah, my, I, I, your, your advice is sound. That's where I'd go with it. So, yeah. All right. Well, that is, uh, I believe, where we must end things for today, Mr. Braun. But we will be back. Uh, we'll do, we're doing two shows this week because Apple is doing an event this week. So it's, uh, you know, it's time. We gotta, we'll do a little reaction. Um, re, not a recap, but a reaction episode after the event on mm-hmm. Tuesday. And of course, we'll push that out to all the feeds. It'll be a normal episode. But if you want to, you can join us live at live.macgeekhub.com. Come to the, the feeds. And, uh, you know, there you go. So we will, um, you know... Come to live.macgeekhub.com early if you want. Uh, mute the sound because you'll be wanting to watch the Apple event, not listen to an old Mac Geekhub episode. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the chat room is always there. So if you want to come hang out in the chat room, I'll make sure to open the chat room on, on my computer, too. I'll be busy covering the event. I'm usually put on screenshot duty because I have a good uh, workflow for that. <laughs> so, um, so... Uh, I, I'm not sure how much participation I will make, but John and I can both be, you know, at least in the chat room and checking in. If you folks want to be there, we'll push the thing out to, to, uh, you know, our various socials. So yeah, very good. Very good. Very good. Uh, thanks to all of you, in fact, for, for doing what you do. Thanks to everybody who has contributed to our premium program at MacGeekUp.com slash premium uh that is of course it is not mandatory but it is a place or it it is a program that was created for those of you who want to and can support us directly uh and you can learn more about it at mackiekeb.com slash premium i will uh we will thank all of you my spreadsheet for that is failing to come up for me safari is is complaining to me about it so i will uh we will we will thank those of you who have contributed recently specifically in uh, in the, ne- the next episode here. But thank you for to all of you who, who do contribute. Thanks really, though, to everyone for listening. That is the best thing you can do. The second best thing is contributing your questions and your tips and your cool stuff out. And you're all doing that, which is awesome. Thank you. Thank you. The third best thing you can do is to share the show. Tell other people about it, either just by sharing the episode or sharing any, you know, one of the variety of things on any of the various social channels that we're on, all the little tips and tidbits that we're pushing out. Share those, you know, just spreading spreading the love of the Mac Geek Cab family here is super helpful uh, for all of us in terms of just pushing things forward. So, 
Any place specifically you want to direct them, Mr. Braun? MacGeekGab.com. There you go. MacGeekGab.com. That's where it's happening. That's where it's happening. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, you can send it. We told you how to send in your stuff. If you're a premium listener, you can send it to premium at Thanks to all of our sponsors. Of course, the ones in this episode were uh, startmail.com slash MGG. Half price, like $29.99 or something like that. It's great. Uh, sunbasket.com slash MGG with code MGG at checkout. And speaking of checkout, checkout.com slash MGG for your business payment solutions. Our thanks to Cashfly for providing all the bandwidth to get the show from us to you. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks uh, thanks for all of that. Happy Bicycle Day today. And uh, don't do anything we wouldn't do. Don't get caught. See you next week. Actually, see you Man. tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs>